Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. My name's Ephraim, and um, for those who don't know, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege for me to be able to stand before you this afternoon and declare that Christ is risen. Now, there was maybe one faint cry in response, potentially two, that said, he is risen indeed. And so I'm going to try that again. Christ is risen. Woo! Okay. Praise God. Let me take that, let me take that first one as the warm-up, that second one as, as the primer. So this is the real one. I'm going to say, no, I'm not even going to say it because I know you're going you're gonna to raise the roof. Christ is risen. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. We know for a fact that Jesus is risen. And what a blessing and a privilege it is today to come together and to rejoice and to share in that truth. We have a wonderful turnout and what a blessing it is. I want to welcome you, particularly if you're visitors. Um, can I encourage everybody to kind of use the seats from the front so that everybody's able to get in? We've got a few seats available in the middle here and up the front here. So utilize all the seats. Hey, to you guys in the balcony, you're right up there? Praise God. You guys are christening the balcony today. I think that's the first time we're using the balcony. So make some noise for the guys in the balcony, everybody. Praise God. Jesus is Lord. And um, what a captivating and provocative presentation that we saw just now. Didn't the guys do well? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Give them a round of applause. Amen. God is gracious that he's given us the arts by which we're able to express worship and praise to him and for him. God is good. Now, as we're here today, rejoicing at the goodness of God, we reflect on the fact that today, Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate the resurrection, three days after the Passover, three days after what we understand to be Good Friday, is a day of celebration. The whole Easter period is a day of celebration. Some may have watched The Passion of the Christ and thought to yourself, well, what was so good about that Friday? And that's the question that we have to ask. And that's the question that has to be answered and was ultimately answered in the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is alive. Many people have gone, many people have died, many well-known people have died, and even there's been speculation as to whether or not they actually died or if they even came back from the dead. I mean, within our own lifetime, I would say that there's one individual who caused a great deal of speculation in that regard. 
an individual who was internationally known, had a worldwide impact. And people had great disbelief at his death. Some even saying that his, his, the, his life's works, the art that, was, that came forth from his life, heralded the fact that he's not really dead. He's beaten death. Now, one of the things that amazes me is that such strong sentiment and feeling can be, be associated with someone who was a rapper. <laughs> Tupac Shakur. And with his song and album entitled Machiavelli, many said that was a hidden reference to he who would beat death, as the Machiavellian character of, of antiquity suggests. But we know that Tupac is actually dead. <laughs> and we, one of the reasons we know that Tupac is actually dead is because if he were alive, he would have revealed himself and made a lot of money already. Am I lying? There's a lot of money to be made if that could have been proven. And so history shows us that there is no one, no one who has come back from the grave. No one who has come back from the dead. There's no one who has crossed the final frontier and returned to tell the tale, apart from one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so let me pray, and then listen, let, let's listen and read the account of Jesus that speaks of his resurrection. Let me commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving us life, health and strength. Even in our ill health, Lord, our ability to be here shows us, Lord, that you are good and merciful. That, Lord, you have allowed us to be able to come and to be among your people and to experience the work of your spirit in our hearts as your word is shared. Speak to us, I pray. May we through this day, through this experience, be drawn closer to you wherever we're at, Lord. For some of us, we may be a skeptic. We may be that individual who like hearing Tupac claims that he's not dead, that he's, he's really alive somewhere, and we're skeptical. Some may be skeptics with regards to Jesus Christ and the fact that he's alive. And yet, Lord, let God be true and every man a liar. You have determined that you would not leave yourself without a witness, and you have given the greatest and most conclusive evidence his name is Jesus. Our prayer is that he meets with us today as we seek to meet with him. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 20. And we're going to consider a few thoughts that we see expressed in John chapter 20 as it speaks of Christ's resurrection. 
So I'm a firm believer in letting the Word of God do its work. So let's just take a few moments to just go through this chapter and to consider the truth of it. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen? Amen. This is the word of God. Now, some people may be skeptical when we say that Jesus lives. And as we see in this chapter, for any who are skeptical, that's okay. We might be that individual when we see or hear the phrase, he lives or Jesus is alive, we'll be like my, um, well, I say like my, there's a friend of mine, he's a pastor in California, he's in, in Watts in L.A., and uh, we met him a couple years ago, and one of, he's just got this phrase that he, he, he just characterized him. This phrase was such that it was completely associated with his personality. He's a brother from a Hispanic background, and um, the Lord saved him out of madness. And he is living all out for the Lord. His name is Jose Hernandez. So shout out to Pastor Jose. And this one phrase that he was known for can be summed up in one word. Because it was one word. You know what I'm saying, Coco? Really? Now, I've observed culture and I realize that this phrase is something that has kind of, it, it, it kind of grew in popularity. And, and people were kind of like, really? You mean that they're going to have another fire in the pub on Coronation Street? Really? <laughs> and just the expression of that phrase, and you had to say it right. When I first started to try and say it, I couldn't even say it right. I'm probably not even doing it right now. You can't say, really. You can't say, really. It has to have that kind of sarcastic kind of whine to it. Really? <laughs> and so people might hear Jesus is alive and be kind of like, really? Alive from the dead? Are you sure? Hmm. Well, you're in good company because the disciples themselves were in exactly that place, in a place of disbelief and surprise. So we see that in our text, as we consider Mary, she goes to the tomb, and the question is, what have they done with the Lord? Where is he? 
and she goes to tell the other disciples. And in Luke chapter 24, we're told that they didn't believe. It says, when Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, the apostles heard this and they said, these words seem as an idle tale. That's just loose talk. Old wives tell, nah, you're not serious. Really, Mary? Open tomb? Jesus is gone? I mean, come on. What you've been smoking, Mary? That was the kind of attitude, the kind of response. And it clearly says in Luke 24 that they did not believe them. The very disciples who had walked with Jesus three and a half years, heard all his teachings, seen all the miracles and the great works, they didn't believe that he was raised from the dead. And in fact, they ran to the tomb, and it says that Peter and John ran to the tomb. John being maybe a little younger, lighter on his feet, got there first. But he was shook. He, he stood outside. He wouldn't go in. I mean, some of us feel like that about graveyards, right? You're not trying to walk through graveyards at the best of times, let alone when it's twilight. You've been watching too many of them vampire programs. But John stood outside, but Peter came in, and you know, Peter's a bold. He, he would do anything, say anything. He's the one who cut off the, the, um, the, the, the soldier's ear when they came to arrest Jesus. He would, and he just went straight in. And he saw the grave clothes and nobody. And John went in and looked. And John came out believing. But we don't see that about Peter at this stage. And in fact, there's more evidence to suggest that Peter did not believe initially to the extent that he even went back to his trade, fishing. And so, this was an issue that the disciples wrestled with. Jesus, is he actually raised from the dead? Mary, having returned and remained after the guys had left, still didn't believe she speaks to two angels, and she asks them, what have you done with him? She's speaking to Jesus himself, and she asks him, have you got him? So even at this point, standing in the face of an empty grave, the grave clothes still there, she wrestled with disbelief. until she recognized Jesus, until he called her name and she knew it was him. And at the point of that revelation within her heart, she called on him, Rabboni, 
And then we see Thomas. Now, it's no surprising, it's no surprises that Thomas doubted, right? Thomas is the one, when Jesus said he's going to Jerusalem, he turned around and said, we might as well all go and die with him. They're trying to, they're trying to kill him. So look, he was the pessimist amongst them. And what happened? Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never notice. Not I might, you know, or maybe. I will never believe. And then what happens? He meets and has an encounter with the risen Jesus. And Jesus came into a locked room without using the door. And he stood there among them. And he said to Thomas, all right, put your finger here. And put your hand here. And you know what? We don't even read that Thomas done it. Just seeing Jesus physically there in front of him with his wounds, Thomas fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. And he acknowledged that Jesus is the greatest individual ever as he stood there before him. And as Thomas knelt, realizing this is actually that Jesus who was brutally crucified, who was tortured. In fact, we were so scared, we ran and we fled from him because we didn't want to feel what he was going through. And from a distance, we saw him nailed to a wooden cross by the Romans, having been shredded by the whip, his flesh torn to sinews. And we even witnessed the centurion spear his side and the bodily fluids pour out signifying he was dead. We know that Joseph of Arimathea came and, and took him and buried him in his tomb. And it was a nice tomb. He was a rich man, and the tomb had never been used before. And we felt all of our hopes running down the drain, along with his blood. And all of our vision and all of our dreams of religious success, they were dashed. And that, that man who we, we rode with every day for three and a half years of our life, who'd done things that we, we'll, we'll never see again in our lifetime, who spoke words that were like no one else. 
He's gone. Dead. And it's all but a memory. Some memories to cherish, some good times to hold on to. But he's dead. They knew he was dead. They were hiding because he was dead. And they feared the same treatment by the Jews. And yet still, Jesus stood among them. And he demonstrated his victory over death. To these doubting, disbelieving, discouraged individuals, these disciples who weren't trying to be disciples anymore. And furthermore, they didn't have any more leader to follow. And yet still, as he stood there among them, progressively they were convinced. He ate with them, we read. He walked and talked with them. In fact, we understand from the book of Luke in chapter 24 that he even rebuked them for their disbelief. In verse 25, it says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In fact, Jesus himself had predicted that he would die, but also that he would be raised the third day. And as we saw in our chapter in John, it was after these events that the penny dropped and they were able to put two and two together, be like, whoa. I mean, when he said it the first time, we just thought that he was on some esoteric, metaphoric talk, like, I'm going to be raised again. And that just went in one ear and out the other, straight over our heads. But now it makes sense. He actually said that he would be killed and be risen the third day. And so, the disciples went from doubt and disbelief to faith and victory. And you see, we understand that the resurrection of Christ and the accounts concerning the resurrection of Christ are able to do the same in any person's life, if we would believe. You see, it's a matter of faith. Now you say, ah, well, I believe in science. It's not about faith, because faith, with faith there's uncertainty, but with science there's security and sureness. Well, there's two problems with that perspective. One, science is far from trustworthy. Was it not scientists who at one point said that the earth was flat? Even when the Bible talked about God 
sitting above the circle of the earth, thousands of years before scientists actually came to understand this. Science is changing constantly, even to the point of contradicting itself. So, can you trust science any more than you can trust any other knowledge? There's an even bigger problem with trusting science. And the fact that it's a bigger problem relates very much to where we're at as we consider this account. Because in all of science, the one thing they've not been able to do, well, among many things, is invent time travel. You see, history is not something that can be judged by scientific standards. Science is based on the observation of what exists, the recording of that data, and reproducing the circumstances. And if they do that enough times, something becomes validated as a scientific fact. But history is a moment in time. And once that moment is gone, you can't go back and observe it again, apart from looking at the record of what has taken place. And so you can't approach history with scientific standards. And so when we consider the account of Jesus Christ, Although there may be some who say, really? We actually appreciate that. These accounts are true. They are certain, and they are life-changing. In fact, there are a number of historians who have considered the issue. Some modern-day historians some great legal minds have considered attempts to try and disprove the resurrection account and disprove the life of Christ. There are those who have said, well, there is no Jesus. No, he never existed. He's a, he's a figure that was just thought up and rationalized, clothed in theology, and given some attempt of historical validity. There's a man called John W. Montgomery, and he's recognized to be one of the architects of the modern legal system in the Western world. And he, along with many others, have considered the historic evidence concerning Jesus Christ his sinless life, his death, and resurrection. And you know what? This is a summary, if you like, right here, of their view. If the standards used to discredit Jesus by his critics were applied to any other historical figure, we would have no history to speak of. Basically, they're saying, you can't rubbish the evidence concerning Jesus. Because if you want to throw out the evidence concerning Jesus, then you have to throw out all historical evidence. 
of any character, of any time period. You can't trust. If you can't trust what's written about Jesus, then you can't trust nothing that's written about history. Consider this. These same disbelieving disciples, these doubting disciples, they carried the testimony of Jesus' resurrection to their death. In fact, they were killed because of their testimony. Now, if they had tried to fabricate this situation, would they knowingly die for a lie? No one knowingly dies for a lie. Furthermore, when we look at the record, it doesn't even work in their favor. I mean, we're looking at these guys who were doubting, disbelieving, disheveled, discouraged, every other kind of diss you can think of, and we're supposed to be convinced by these guys if this is fabricated. Why are you going to present yourself as unsure? When have you ever seen an unsure used car salesman? He could be selling you an old mule of a vehicle, but as far as he's concerned, this thing purrs like a Ferrari, mate. I'm telling you, you won't get another deal like it anywhere. He's not going to be like, mm, well, it might make it off the car lot and it might not. I don't, you know what? If it makes it, I'll eat my hat. He's not going to stand there and say that. He's going to want to appear convincing. And so the evidence of their disbelief in itself testifies to the fact that, you know what? These guys are obviously saying something true because no one in their right mind is going to present themselves as being doubtful of something that they've made up if they're trying to convince us to believe them. They didn't believe it themselves even. And then think about the way that they died. So John. John was the only apostle to die peacefully. The only one. Now you might think, well, how does that back up him taking this testimony to death? He died a peaceful death. Bear in mind that was after they banished him to a remote island called Patmos and tried to boil him in oil. But it was like some of the horse meat they're out, they got out. He wouldn't cook. <laughs> it was. They put him in a cauldron of oil and boiled him, and he and he he just sat there like it's a sauna. <laughs> so it's not that they didn't try and kill him. It's not that he didn't expect to die for his testimony. Think about Peter, who raced with him to the tomb. Peter was killed. He was crucified upside down, tradition says, on an X-shaped cross. He, he wouldn't even allow himself to be killed in the same manner as his glorious Savior, who is risen from the dead. He said, I'm not worthy to die by the same manner of crucifixion. And so they turned him upside down and bent the arms of the cross. Think about... James, Jesus' brother. In John chapter 7, James was a skeptic. James grew up with Jesus. 
He was a child that Mary had after she and Joseph were married, after Jesus was born. She did go on to have other children. She wasn't a perpetual virgin, as some say. And James, having grown up, and I mean, I feel it for James, really. I mean, you grow up with someone who's perfect. You imagine those moments, you know, sibling rivalry. Oh, yeah, I bet you think you're perfect, don't you? Jesus is quiet. <laughs> no response. For he cannot deny himself. <laughs> but James wasn't a believer. James wasn't a follower. James was one who, he said, look, if you're so great, in John 7, go to the feast and reveal yourself. Go and let everybody see you, Mr. Big Shot. My paraphrase added, obviously. <laughs> he wasn't convinced throughout the life of Christ. And this is one of the reasons why we see the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 actually highlight the fact that Jesus appeared to James. Jesus appeared to his brother James. Now listen, listen to how James died, having become a believer. It says that he was thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the temple over a hundred feet down when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered, if, if that weren't bad enough, when they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat him to death with a club. Now, after he had been thrown off 100 feet, it's like somebody take you up to the tower at the top there, says, deny Christ. You say, no. I say, okay, over you go. Boom. You hit the floor. Boom. And you're still alive. You would think at that point, if it weren't true, you'd be like, oh, you know what? Please beg you. Just, just give me a break. Allow me, please. All right, don't worry. Whatever you want me to say, I'll just... But they proceeded to beat him to death, to finish the job. Why? If the resurrection was fake, if it wasn't true, if they never actually met Jesus. They met with the risen Savior. The Apostle Paul, who said that he was an apostle born out of season. The others had already become apostles and it was later on he became an apostle. And in the meantime, while they were following Jesus, he was killing Christians. He was a Jew among Jews. He was a bad man when it come to Judaism. To the extent that his name was known all over the region, and he would send people to get licensed to kill Christians. He would send them to the synagogues, Tell them to give me a license so that when I come into town, if I find any Christians, I'm legally able to out them, to finish them. And yet, the Apostle Paul is said to have been tortured and then beheaded by Nero during the persecutions of AD 68. 
for maintaining his profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so we see, not only does the information in the account make sense, we also see that the impact of the account is consistent with truth. That all these guys went through hell because they simply held on to the truth that they had met with the risen Jesus. And so, in view of this rock-solid testimony, what do you say? What do you say? I mean, there are so many more things to be said, but the reality is, will you submit to the truth or choose to resist it? Because the academics and the authors and the historians that choose to try and discredit the testimony of Jesus, the historical account of Jesus, are recognized to be having a bias. They couldn't apply those same standards to other aspects of history. They're being unfair and irrational in their judgment. So it's not unreasonable. An individual's not dumb because they believe in the resurrection of Christ. God has given us good reason to believe, as expressed in his inspired word, the testimony of those eyewitnesses. And so when we consider the fact that Jesus is risen, think about this, as those disciples would have done. Think about what Jesus said of himself. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You're looking for fulfillment in life? You'll find it in me and me only. I am the light of the world. Nothing makes sense in darkness. You'll only find true understanding and illumination in life in me. I am the giver of living water. You're looking for satisfaction. You're thirsty with a metaphoric thirst. And yet Jesus is the satisfier. This is what he said about himself. He said, I am the door. There's only entrance into paradise. There's only entrance into the presence of God through him. I am the good shepherd, the only one who we can follow truly. I am the resurrection and the life. He who has conquered death. Now you'd think that we could stop there, right? I mean, that just that in itself, I am the resurrection and the life. You're like SNM, say no more. Nothing more to be said. But Jesus said more. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father 
but through me. He is the truth. All truth is defined by his person. Life is only found in him. I am the true vine. People are looking for luxury in life. But really, we're sipping water when we could be sipping wine. Because Jesus is the true vine. I am one with the Father in John 10.30. He said that he and the Father are one of the same substance. In John 4, he said to the woman at the well, I am the Messiah, the anointed one, who has been predicted throughout the ages to come. I am the son of man, the messianic title of the rescuer pictured in the book of Daniel. I am the son of God. Now, it was in view of this and those latter statements that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. It was because of his identifying himself as being God. They called him a blasphemer. That is why he died. And yet he can't deny himself. And this is why Good Friday exists on the calendar. And so what is it that makes Friday so good? Well, as I heard somebody once say, if you were about to be killed for your crimes and someone stepped in and took your place, wouldn't that make it a good day for you? You see, Jesus did die having lived a perfect life and he died a criminal's death, but he had committed no crime. He died for our sin. He died for our crimes. He, he died for our violations of God's will. I heard somebody say this week, the greatest sin that we might commit is not fornication. It's not drunkenness or stealing or even murder. The greatest sin that we commit is to reject the will of God and do our own thing. Ultimately expressed in rejecting Christ. And when it comes down to it, that will be the basis of our judgment. Did we reject or receive Jesus? And so we appreciate Christ died. He died for the sins of those who will believe. And he is risen, our justification before God confirmed, our forgiveness rubber stamped by God. And he will come again, he who is alive. He will come again to judge sin. And all who continue in sin 
having resisted and rejected him. And so the Bible calls on all people everywhere to repent. To repent and believe. You see, all people are without excuse, especially those of us who are here. To give you <laughs> some bad news, not to try and discourage you from coming to church again. But in our hearts is the reality of God's existence in such a way that it provokes in us a curiosity. It provokes in us a desire to seek more. And yet, some people resist that. In Romans 1, it says that people try and suppress that, hold that motivation down and say, I'm not going to listen to that. That voice of my conscience telling me that I ought to please God. I ought to find out who he is. And yet, we hear the ministry of the word like this. We hear the account of Jesus declared publicly, and it becomes another point of accountability. When God says, you heard my word read. You heard the message of the gospel explained. Why did you not believe? Why did you not accept the truth? You see, as the word of the Lord is presented to you, just like the disciples, you are having an encounter with Jesus Christ because he is the living word. Will you walk away from this encounter and continue as an unbeliever? Or will you surrender to he who is raised from the dead? Because Jesus is alive. Really, he is alive. And he offers forgiveness of sin. He offers life eternal. And you don't have to try and earn it. You don't have to try and be strenuous in your ability to please him. All you need to do is receive. Receive the word of life. Receive the gospel. Believe on Jesus and turn from your own ways. And then like the disciples, you too will be able to testify to the fact that Jesus really lives because you will experience that same life-transforming power, that power that enabled them to stand against all odds and maintain their testimony that Jesus is alive. I'm going to ask the team to join me as we prepare to close with a final song. And as we consider the fact that these moments on the Christian calendar exist as a persistent reminder a reminder and an opportunity for all to know that Jesus lives and he offers life eternal.
People will be enjoying Easter eggs today. Maybe you've already started, got an early start. And the reality is that my jumper is as close as Easter eggs gets <laughs> to the real meaning of Easter. <laughs> About three people said to me today, I look like an Easter egg. Well, this is as close as it gets. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Shall we stand? Lord, we bless your name and we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are good. And that, Lord, you challenge us. You call on us to follow a risen Savior. You've not commanded that Christians go on pilgrimage to an empty tomb because the tomb is empty. That tomb is famous for what it does not can contain. We thank you, Lord, that our hope is in he who has been raised from the dead and who lives eternal. And even now, the angels cry holy around his throne. He has been given a name that is above all names, that, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. So we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for your faithfulness in providing a credible and sure testimony for us to examine and to submit to. I pray, Lord, that you would inspire faith, Lord, in every heart today. Faith enough to have us turn from our own ideas of what life is all about and how to have eternal life and seek Christ. And follow Jesus. Thank you again, Lord, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
with wonder Lord when we consider you the God man who stepped into time and space and you lived this life Lord that we lived but you lived it impeccably without sin and you were killed Lord you were crushed for our sins and iniquities Lord you were bruised and you were battered you were beaten and you were killed and yet, where would the hope be if that was all? Yet on the third day, the stone was rolled away and you were declared alive before multitudes, before the disciples, before even more than 500 people at one time. And for 40 days, you, in your risen state, in your risen body, walked and talked and opened the eyes of your followers to your word and all that they didn't understand before now became clear as you were there among them in your resurrected form and now you've sent your spirit to testify of your truth even resonating with our hearts that as we consider this, this group of 11 in a country smaller than Wales 2,000 years ago, that their testimony would affect and impact the whole world, resulting in not just hundreds or thousands, but millions of people throughout these years, throughout these generations, coming to encounter you, the living God. And we bless your name, Jesus. And we give you glory and honor and praise, all that is due to your name. For truly, you are clothed in wonder and in majesty. You are like no one. You are in a class of your own, but that's not even true because there's no class for you. You are beyond class. You are holy. Thank you, Lord, for eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you, Lord, for the new birth that we can be made anew through repentant faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And in this, we celebrate your resurrection. For truly, you are risen. You are risen indeed. In your name and for your glory, we pray today. Amen.
To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.